welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 21st of September 2014, entitled The Believer's Great Hope, Part 2, Exemplified in Our Lives. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Peter, Chapter 2, Verses 11 and 12. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. We'll be in 1 Peter, Chapter 2, to start this evening. And... Um... Think back, I guess it's been about three weeks since uh, we uh, we began this, and I said, we want to just take just a few sermons, just an overview uh, here in uh, the book of First Peter, because the great theme of this book, if you would, right the way through, is uh, the believer's great hope, uh, and particularly amidst the, uh, the sufferings and, and, and troubles and tribulations and all that we face but we always have a great hope. And uh, we began by, by looking at uh, chapter 1 uh, and then part uh, into uh, chapter 10 of verse, uh, chapter, verse 10 of chapter 2 is where we uh, left off the last time. Uh, so I'm going to begin. Let's, uh, let's stand on the reading of God's Word. I'm just going to read uh, a couple of verses to start with, and then we're going to be reading through these other verses as we, as we go along here this evening. First uh, Peter chapter 2. Notice what he says to us here in verses 11 and 12. He says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, whereas they speak against you as evildoers. They may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Father, we thank you so much this evening that we can be here in your house this evening, that we can have your word before us. Father, we can have your spirit living within us. And Lord, over these next moments as we look into your word together, Lord, it is, it is genuinely not what we have that's important here this evening. But I pray, Lord, because you can search and know the hearts of each one that is here. Lord, I pray that you would take and uh, bring forth the message tonight that is needful for this hour. Lord, as we look at these things, may you give clarity of mind. Lord, may you speak to the hearts of each and every individual. Lord, that your work would be accomplished as you would desire. We'll give you all the praise, thanks, and glory for it. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Well, if you will recall, it has been, uh, I think, about three weeks because we uh, we had the Sunday school uh, uh, presentation weekend that followed that, and then uh, and then I was uh, away last weekend, uh, so I think it was about two, three, at least three Sundays ago, uh, and as we began to look here, and we began to think on this thought of the believer's great hope, we began, first of all, in the first part of this book, looking at the fact that our hope is established in our great salvation, and of course, that's the only place that it can be established. Um, I made the statement to you that I've made before that, uh, you know, that the only place that there is no hope is where there's no gospel. Uh, Jesus Christ gives hope to everyone. Uh, and the gospel is, is that which uh, we have been left here, that good news of what Jesus came to accomplish. It's the only thing that can give hope. Uh, but then again, as we begin to recognize that uh, Many times it's 
We think of this thing, and we talked about two things, really, the confidence of our hope and the consequences of our hope in that first part. And, of course, confidence and faith go kind of hand in hand because, you know, what does it mean to have confidence in something? It's to, it's to completely trust it, to have absolute trust in something. And, and, of course, the way that many times we talk about needing to build our confidence, people are talking about building their confidence in themselves or building confidence in someone else. And, and of course, the only way that you can build confidence is to believe something more uh, to be able to, uh, to have that certainty. Um, our hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ is a surety. And what we saw in that, in those, that first chapter in a bit uh, was that the confidence of our hope that's established in our salvation, because it's not us, it was preserved by the power of God. That's our future hope. It's not because of us that it's going to be there. It was proven by the trials of our persecution, our, our present joy that he's there with us every step of the way. It was prophesied by the prophets of old, and it was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, provided for in the past. So it was provided for in the past. We enjoy it right now in the future, and of course, we've got that future hope of the Lord Jesus Christ that is preserved by the power of God and not ourselves. I guess that uh, uh, confidence can be a two-way street sometimes because much of the world wants us to, uh, to have all the confidence in ourselves. And people can have too much confidence in themselves. Uh, I remember hearing the story one time, and I won't call his name, but uh, uh, he was a, a well-known football coach. Uh, and uh, he had a nickname to, uh, to kind of describe uh, uh, how, uh, how confident that he was. If I called that, then I'd be telling who he was. Uh, but I read one time because this guy was so self-confident, he honestly believed that he could do almost anything. And it wasn't just on the football field, but he obviously believed that uh, he was good in a lot of other things. And they said he was out shooting one day with one of his friends, and, you know, he's one of these guys that no way would he ever, ever, ever miss a shot, and they were, they were out duck hunting. And the ducks went over, and he pulled back his gun, and he followed those ducks across and pew, shot that duck. And the duck just kept on flying. This guy looks over at the guy that's with him and said, John, you're just witnessing a miracle. He said, that dead bird's still flying up there. You know? <laughs> it wasn't possible that he could possibly miss the bird, uh, so it had to be miraculous that he had shot it and it was still flying. Well, that's not the kind of confidence that will give us hope in our future if, we're, if it's built upon, uh, upon ourselves. Uh, but our hope, is in our great salvation. Uh, if a person that uh, is trying to find hope in this world amidst everything else, if they don't have the surety of knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and understanding the surety of that salvation for all of eternity, then they're going to have trouble finding hope because that's where our hope is grounded. That's where our confidence is in our hope. And you know, that's what so many people are looking for in many things. That's one of the uh, the most despairing things is when people lose all hope. And that can happen in any area of life. Uh, but as Christians, we have no reason to ever lose hope. Uh, our hope is established in our great salvation. The confidence of our, of our hope is in that salvation. And, of course, the consequences of that hope is our sanctification as, as we continue to move and grow forward with the Lord. And we, we looked at a number of things there. But I want to direct your attention here this evening. And this is a hard one sometimes. 
Do you know that one of the first things that you begin to, to see in a child, in a baby, before they even learn how to talk, uh, you can begin to see because of that sinful nature that is there, you can see that rebellion start to come through. They want their own way. You know, they want their food when they want it. They want this toy when they want it. And they'll start pitching their tantrums and screaming and doing all these things, and they can't even communicate properly. And yet they do not want to submit to the authority of mom and dad. Don't worry. It just gets worse as they get older. <laughs> they still don't like to submit to that authority. But don't worry, young people. I know very few adults that like to submit as, as well. It doesn't go natural with the flesh. We don't like to have to submit to someone else, to some kind of authority that's over us in the flesh. But you see, our hope isn't in the flesh. We've already seen that our hope is established in our great salvation. And I want to say to you this evening that it will be exemplified in the lives that we live. There ought to be something different about a Christian's life. And if we genuinely have hope in this world, no matter what's going on around us, I mean, we look around and we think that, you know, every time that they fight some big battle or some big war, it's supposed to be, you know, that one that's supposed to kind of, kind of solve all the problems and, 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 and end all of this in the future. And yet we look around us all over the world. People are killing people. And it doesn't get better. It gets worse because they're instruments of warfare. Just get more and more powerful all the time. Man becomes capable of much more destruction. And as we look around this world, sometimes it can seem kind of hopeless. What's going to stop everybody from just killing everybody else? We've heard for years all through the Cold War, that great fear, somebody pressing that button, and then the other side's going to press the button, and everybody's going to be blown up in the process. The truth is, is that our hope is not in this world. But we find here that if our hope is established in our great salvation, there ought to be something different in our lives as Christians, regardless of whether we speak English or Chinese or Russian or Spanish or Romanian or whatever that it might be. The truth is, is that there ought to be something that is exemplified by our lives. That hope ought to be showing through. Now, he begins here in verse 11 and 12. He says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you. I'm pleading with you as strangers and pilgrims. We can look other places. We are, and he's pleading to us as strangers and pilgrims here on this earth. He says, Abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Those fleshly lusts, as long as you have a fleshly body, they are going to exist. But he's saying that we need to abstain from those things. We need to stay away. He says, having your conversation, your, your lifestyle, if you would, honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God the day of visitation. You might have some pretty nasty things said about you sometimes. You haven't, 
I don't know. You must not have been living <laughs> because somebody's going to find something wrong with the things that you do, and especially as a Christian uh, amidst a sinful world. Uh, there's going to be lots of evil things that are spoken sometimes. But Peter, when he's writing to us here, he says, you know, that even as they're speaking against you as evildoers, you know, mind your own being. They don't, they don't want that Christianity stuff, that religious stuff, that, that Jesus stuff. But even though they may be speaking evil against you, he's saying by the life that you live, by your lifestyle, by your good works, they ought to be able to see God in you. So we find that I believe that this hope that we have, if we genuinely have a hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, it ought to be exemplified in the lives that we live. And first of all, those lives ought to be honorable in society. Now, society includes all the believers, the unbelievers, just everybody out there. Our lifestyles, our lives ought to exemplify that hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he says here first, and this one again, it's not easy because notice that very next word in verse 13 there, what does it say? Submit. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as to unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Now, thank God that we have the freedom of speech. Thank God that we have the freedom to be able to go to the voting booth and, and, and vote. And those that are over us in authority above us, we have a say in whether they're going to be there or not. All the talk this past week about the vote taking place north of the border in Scotland. You know, who was that authority going to be in their governments? Sometimes we look around and we forget just how blessed that we are. There are many peoples of this earth that don't have that choice. If you stop and recognize at the time that Peter was writing this, as a matter of fact, at the time that Jesus Christ was walking upon this earth, when he's talking about the kings and the governors here, he was a Jew. But it was Rome that was in power that had conquered all that part of the world. They were under the authority of a foreign government. The governors that he's speaking of, they placed governors in all of these places. Jesus was taken before those governors when he was wrongfully accused and hung up on the cross. But Jesus is saying, Submit. <laughs> Submit to those who are in authority over you. In other words, as Christians, the rest of the world ought to see in us not a bunch of rebels rearing up and tearing down the governments whether we agree with them or not. Thank God we've got the vote. Thank God that we, can, that we have the speech to say the things that, that we feel are right and wrong. 
But in the end, the Bible is very clear on this that we ought to be in submission to the government that we live under. Jesus was in submission to a foreign government even when he walked upon this earth. That doesn't mean that it's wrong in the right way to go about trying to change some of those things. But you can't just rebel and disobey it because you don't agree with it. You know, the laws that are on the book, God has laws that are laid down. And when people come to this country, they're expected to abide by those laws. We see a lot of heartache today because there are many that want to come in and change those laws to what they want them to be rather than abiding by the laws that are there. Well, as Christians, if we're truly, if we have hope in this world and if we're going to share that hope with this world, it's got to be exemplified in the lives that we live and that life is not standing up and showing how rebellious that we can be to tear down that government, but the Bible teaches us to Pray for those that are in authority. And here he teaches us to submit to those that are in authority. Submitting to the governmental powers. That's not all. He goes on and notice what he says. Next he says, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, that is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. You see, our lifestyle, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ that is grounded and established in the great salvation that we have, it ought to be exemplified because we ought to be living honorable lives before men. Honorable lives. Submission to the governmental authorities that are over us and submission to our masters. Now, we all, in fact, whether we want to admit it and whether we want to submit to it, we all have authority over us somewhere. And, of course, in, in, in the illustration that Peter is giving us here, you know, sometimes we think of a servant as such a very lowly being. <laughs> you know, they're only a servant. <laughs> it's the people that have got everything. They have the power and the authority, and these guys are just servants that work for them. But Jesus Christ came to serve. <laughs> he came as a servant 
for you and I. Now, the truth is that if even if you were living in a society whereby you were a slave, you were a servant, whether a paid servant or not servant, then you still have a responsibility to submit to the authority that is over you. Now, how does that apply to most of our lives today? Well, sooner or later, whether you are there or on your way there, there will come a day when you have to hold down some kind of a job and work and earn a living, and you're going to work for some kind of authority somewhere. Jesus tells us in another place that everything that we do, do as unto him. You might have a nasty boss. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't seem grateful for anything. He might be, you know, just just this nasty guy that is always, you know, complaining, Tibby, quit smiling. <laughs> I know his boss. <laughs> Bible doesn't say be submissive if you like him. Doesn't say be submissive if he's nice to you. He's saying here, be submissive to your masters. Be submissive to those who are in authority over you. You see, as Christians, we are the hope of this world. And this doesn't come natural. What he's saying to us here is that our hope should be exemplified in the lifestyles that we're living. That we ought to be the most honorable human beings out there in society. And two of the ways he's showing us that is that we ought to be submissive to the governmental authorities that are over us, and we ought to be submissive to those who are our masters, our bosses that are over us in whatever capacity that we are working in this world. So we find that if people are going to see God in us, he uses Jesus Christ himself as the greatest illustration of all here. If it is Christ that they're needing to see in us, if it is Christ that is living and dwelling within us, how much of Christ are they seeing? And, of course, he goes back and he quotes from the prophet Isaiah here. <laughs> and he reminds us that Jesus Christ, <laughs> you know, he did not hang upon that cross because of a lack of power to those in authority. Yes, he stood before that governmental authority that he's saying to submit to all it would have taken. He wouldn't even have had to, some people say, bat an eyelash. He wouldn't have had to even move an eyelash. He could have wiped them off the face of the earth. The one song says, you know, he could have called 10,000 angels. <laughs> he wasn't there because he had to because of any lack of ability or power on his part. He was there because he was submitting, first of all, as we've just read here, to the will of God. That's what he said in the garden. Not my will, but thine be done. Jesus was feeling all of that. When his sweat were his drops of blood. When he said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But not my will. Thine be done. Never think that just because he was 100% God, that when he was hanging there as a man, that he didn't feel all of it. 
that he missed any of that pain or any of that agony. He's speaking of the grief that he felt here, of that which he took, not because he had to, but because he submitted to the authorities. That was all false. They were bringing all the false witnesses accusing him. But Jesus submitted to the authorities that were over him. You see, our hope should be exemplified in our lives. First of all, in society as a whole. There are many, many other examples that we could look at, but Peter uses these two, and then he gives us Jesus Christ, the greatest example at all, that our lives ought to be different. You say, preacher, shouldn't I stand up for my rights? Well, the problem is a lot of times is we're trying to take the rights to stand up for. I'm not saying you can't stand up for your rights that have been given to you, but we got to submit to the authority that is there in that place, whether it be the government out there, whether it be the workplace where we work, we need to be submissive. But only that, notice what he says in the first few verses of the next chapter in chapter 3. He says, likewise, okay, just like this, just like you submit to the government, just like you submit to your masters, likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste, there's that word again, conversation, behavior, lifestyle, coupled with fear. Whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting of the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. You find here that as believers with this great hope that we have that is established in our great salvation, that this great hope ought to be exemplified in our lives to the world around us, not only by being honorable in society, but he says here, by being honorable in the home, whether it's believers or unbelievers again. Matter of fact, he begins by making that very, very clear because... If that spouse is unsaved, then he's saying it's the very lifestyle that you live before them by submitting in the way that God wants you to, that they might be one with the Lord. They must see Jesus, and the likelihood of that is no greater than in the home. And this is whether it be husbands and wives and daughters and sons and in that home environment. 
our great hope ought to be exemplified in the lives that we're living there. He's saying here, oh, you know, all of these things that you can do to, to make yourself beautiful and adorable. I don't want to chase that rabbit. <laughs> You've heard me say before, this world has so corrupted beauty that it doesn't recognize and realize. And the sad thing is, we're not careful, men or women alike. Our minds begin to get corrupted with it. We begin to think a thing of beauty is this object of beauty that the world has said is beautiful. He uses a few things here as far as the outward adorning of plaiting the hair and wearing of gold, of putting on of apparel, all these things that you can do to the outside to, to make yourself look so beautiful and wonderful, and yet what the world is really seeking is not beauty. We find that the world is calling something beauty, that really what they're seeking is just lust. <laughs> uh, they want you to be attractive in the wrong way. Uh, he's, he's making it very clear here that it needs to be that which is coming from the heart, the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God a great price. You know, most of the time today, it's, you know, it's, it's how flashy you can look. Fellows and ladies alike, don't let the world corrupt your thinking. Our great hope as believers ought to be exemplified in our lives. And the beauty is going to come from within. Don't let the world tell you otherwise. Don't think that you've got to wear their flashy clothes and their styles that they wear them in to make your outside look what they define beauty as. But look at how God defines beauty. And I want to tell you this. <laughs> you know, so many times we do these things because we want to be attractive to others. You know, somehow, especially single young men and women, <laughs> when you're wanting to attract that right person. <laughs> and of course, what you always see first is not the inside, but the outside. But you need to look a lot deeper. Don't feel that you have to meet the world's ideas. Oh, you might, you might look beautiful to them. You might be attractive to them. You may stir up all kinds of desires in them that you ought not to. <laughs> but he says here, how beautiful are you before God, <laughs> which is in the sight of God. Great price. What was that? Oh, that was that inner stuff, that meek and quiet spirit, that which comes from within. The greatest beauty of all comes from within. And as Christians... We've got the greatest hope in all the world. And yes, it's established in our salvation, but it ought to be exemplified in our lives. People ought to be able to see the Spirit of Christ from us. We need to be honorable before God. Yes, in society, but in the home as well, our relationships. It comes back to this, not only the way we look and dress, that submission again. Yes, the wives submitting themselves to the husband, but also the husband giving honor to the wife. 
You see, I think that sometimes, sure, sometimes there can be, you know, a wife submitting to the husband isn't any easier than anybody else submitting to any of these other things when it's being done in the flesh. That doesn't just come natural. But by the same token, the man giving honor unto the wife. In another place, he says to love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. When we're both living those kind of honorable lives, when everybody's loving each other as they ought to, when everybody's submitting, whether it's the wife to the husband and the children to the parents, that's when there's going to be peace in the home. And, of course, his parents, you know, he tells us that we ought not to be demanding all these stuff just to, just to rile them up and, and, and make life hard for them either. Our lives ought to exemplify the Spirit of Christ. That means that we ought to be honorable in society in all of our dealings, whether it's easy or whether it feels good or not, just as Jesus Christ was. And in the home, we ought to be honorable. There's got to be that submission one to another. And I want to give you one final thing in closing. Honorable in society, honorable in the home, submission in the family. But notice what he says beginning here in verse 8. He says, finally, He's gone through all these other submissions. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrariwise, just the opposite, blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips, that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. You see here, finally, he's speaking to believers, remember. Be of one kind, one mind, having compassion, caring for one another, loving one another, being pitiful, being courteous not rendering evil for evil, railing for railing. Doesn't that come back when somebody says something nasty to you? Why, you're just, you know, you're just doing what you ought to do when you just say something nasty right back to them. Sometimes it's face-to-face. -face. Sometimes today with all the social media, <laughs> I, I absolutely get shocked at how nasty people can get with one another. <laughs> but they do. You've heard me say it before. In fact, it's still on one of those letters back there that everybody's supposed to get if they're going to be messing around on the computer and part of this church. <laughs> Doesn't matter whether you say it with your mouth or write it with the words. 
You're speaking it. And he's telling us here that we ought to be very, 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 very careful how we speak to one another, how we speak about one another. He's telling us here we ought to be very careful about how we act towards each other and how we act to one another. You see, this is submission. Not only do we find that, I guess we talk about it as being um, honorable in society and honorable in the home, but may I say honorable amongst the brethren. All these other areas are dealing with saved and unsaved people. But here, this is just submission within the church amongst the brethren. <laughs> Our relationships one to another. You know, when they do evil, he said, you do good. <laughs> Truth is, is that that which comes natural, if we're not careful, it shouldn't be what's of the flesh anymore. That's what it is for a lost person. But when the Spirit takes control of our lives, it ought to change. And it's not what comes natural for the flesh, but what comes natural for the Spirit that ought to be exemplifying. When God's in control of our lives, and of course, he says, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto the prayers. God's, God's always there with you. He sees everything. He knows what's being said in your heart. He knows what's being said with your mouth. And so we find that we've got the greatest hope in all of the world as believers. And that's what Peter is really, all this whole theme is all about, that great hope that they have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that hope is established, first of all, in our salvation when we become a child of God. But when it's established there, it ought to be exemplified in our lives. We ought to be the most honorable people out there, whether it's in society, whether it's in the home, or whether it's in the church. And in all of these cases, over and over and over again, it's this submissive spirit. And do you know what? I don't say this to be nasty. But a lot of the empty seats right here this evening is because that many, many people, even as Christians, as believers, they find it a whole lot easier to be out there on their own than to submit to the authority of a local church. They don't want authority in their lives. They don't want to be submissive to the things of God. But this evening, we're talking about the greatest hope in all of the world. That greatest hope is grounded and established in Jesus Christ and our salvation with him. And if we really want to share that hope with this world when most of them feel that they're living in an age of hopelessness, and if they do think there's any hope, they're looking in all the wrong places. They're trying to, to find it in their jobs and their security and all these things. And what they need is Jesus Christ. But if they're going to see that hope that we have this established in our salvation, then it's going to be through our lives that it's going to be exemplified. Students, you're going to be out there. There are going to be other other mostly non-Christians around you all the time. Thank God there are some other Christians out there. Find them. 
but they're going to be looking at your lives, especially when they find out that you're one of those Christians. They're going to be looking at you. Well, you're going to make mistakes just like I do. You know, there's people get upset with me because I'm far, far, far from being perfect. <laughs> I do things wrong and say things wrong, and, you know, God doesn't have me here pastoring this church because that I'm perfect, far from it, by God's grace. Students, workers, all those other words, they're looking at you. It's one thing to say, I'm a Christian, and I go to church every Sunday, and I do this, and I do that, but what are they seeing in your attitude over and over here? He's using Jesus Christ as the great example, and he's saying whether it's out there in society, whether it's in the home, or whether it's in the church, they ought to be seeing this spirit of Christ, this submissiveness. They ought to be seeing that great hope shine through because it's Christ himself that they see in our lives. Father, we know that the theme of what Peter is trying to get across to us here is that great and wonderful hope that we have that is a sure hope that's established in our salvation. But Lord, once we have that great hope that's established in our salvation, he's saying to us here so clearly, Lord, that it ought to be exemplified in the lives that we live. Yes, out there in society as a whole, amongst all the believers and unbelievers alike, in the home, where we would hope and pray that it's believers, but in some cases, even there, it's a mixture of believers and unbelievers. And Father, amongst the believers themselves, the church, amongst our church family, Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, that our great hope might be exemplified in the life that we live. Help us, Lord, that when others see us, we know we are so far from perfect. Lord, we have a lot of choices, and we know. We know when things are coming out that ought not to be, and we need to put them in check, and we need to do what's right. These are things that he's saying that we ought to do. This is the kind of lives that we ought to be living. And if the flesh is trying to overpower us to do something different, he began this whole thing by telling us, well, those, those lusts of the flesh are going to be there. Lord, we don't have to. We're not in bondage to those anymore. Sin no longer has dominion over our lives because you live within us. Help us. Empower us. Lord, take our lives and help us to be all that we ought to be so that when people see our lives, even with all of our imperfections, they can see Christ there. We give you the praise for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.